Amen. You can have a seat this morning. Well, good morning. So glad that you are worshiping with us today. Would love for you to grab your Bible or a pew Bible and turn to Jonah chapter 1. We started our series looking at the life of Jonah last week with a first-person sermon, kind of from the perspective of Jonah. And this week we dive in, and over the next couple weeks we're going to look at Jonah and why did he run from God and what's repentance look like. And um, two weeks from today, first Sunday in September, Samuel's going to be preaching on Jonah's um, heart of resentment and, and how he really resisted God's call and God's grace. Before I get there, several things. First, I want to say thanks to everyone that came out last Sunday night for our Little Galilee Connections event. Over 200 were there. Great time. Way to go, Lindsay and Melinda, planning that. And uh, we've already got it reserved for next year in August. If you missed it, you missed a great time. And uh, look forward uh, to these Connections events moving forward. They're a great opportunity. We're a diverse church. Um, First service, second service, we got people that maybe would be defined as older, we got people that would be defined as younger, and it's a great chance to come together and really have an opportunity to connect. So great job. Today, 3 o'clock, we have a hymn sing that's being sponsored by the Ministerial Association at the Presbyterian Church. We don't sing a lot of hymns during this service, but I love the hymns, and you're invited to come and be a part of that. Reload for Men is this Tuesday in the Family Life Center at 6 a.m. Next week is our third annual block party, and we do that as an opportunity just to say to our community, we love you, and we want to bless you, and we want to have an opportunity to come together. You play a huge part in that. I want you to come to the block party, and I want you to bring people with you to the block party. There's no charge. It's totally free, 5 to 7 p.m. next Sunday night. And then finally, three weeks from this morning, we and 20 other churches in central Illinois will begin a joint four-week series entitled Tell Me More. We're going to be tackling some of the toughest topics in the faith. What happens after you die is one of the topics. Why is there evil in the world is one of the topics. Why are Christians hypocrites is a topic. And why do relationships go south? Why are there bad relationships? And I would love for many of you, especially if you live in a high-profile area, Route 54, Route 10, one of the main streets here in town, or if you have a business in one of those areas, we are wanting to inundate our community with these signs, tell me more. They're going to be all over Decatur. They're going to be all over Bloomington Normal. I want them to be all over Clinton, and I would love to have people, um, number one, see that churches can actually work together on ventures like this, but secondly, to check us out and give us a look beginning September 10. Okay, last week we started with the book of Jonah, and, and kind of from the perspective of Jonah, why he was thinking what he was thinking. I want to start today by giving you a little bit of background information and then just tackling Jonah chapter 1 with this whole idea of Jonah running away from God. Jonah is one of 12 minor prophets. There are four major prophets. These are books in the Old Testament. And when you say minor prophet, the temptation is to think, well, Jonah's not as important as Isaiah. Amos isn't as important as Jeremiah. Habakkuk isn't as important as Ezekiel. That's not the point at all. 
It's not minor in terms of importance. It's minor simply in terms of length. The time frame, the context is about mid-8th century B.C. We're not exactly sure, but we know it's sometime after the ministry of Elisha the prophet and sometime before the ministry of Amos the prophet. And in terms of world context, Assyria is the dominant world power. And they are an evil people. They are an awful people. They are a barbaric people. They're killing anyone and everyone that they see as a threat. And they will eventually overrun much of God's people. The northern kingdom of Israel will fall to the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Now, Jonah is unique as a book of the prophets compared with the other 15 in that, unlike the other books of the prophets, this book is not really full of actual prophecies. It's more about the life of the prophet. And that's really not the case with Isaiah or Jeremiah or Amos or Zechariah or Habakkuk. That's not really the case. Very little attention is given to Jonah's actual preaching, the content of the proclamation. And most of the Old Testament prophets were called to go and prophesy against God's people. Go to the northern kingdom of Israel and preach against them. Go to the southern kingdom of Judah and preach against them. That's not Jonah's call. Jonah's call is to go to the nation of Assyria. Last thing I want to throw out there. Do you look at the book of Jonah and say it's absolute history? Do you look at the book of Jonah as many today do and say it's just a parable? It's not meant to be history, but we can still grab something like the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son or one of the other parables. Um, I could do an entire lecture on this. I'm not going to. I know some of you would really enjoy that, and I would encourage you, if you wrestle with it, to, to do the due diligence and grab a commentary. Get on the internet. Try to figure out for yourself, is it history? Is it parable? I'm just going to throw this out for you for your consideration this morning. Jesus Christ, our Savior, considered Jonah historical. He used it in his preaching, um, unlike most of the other prophets. Jonah is one of very few prophets that Jesus actually quoted that Jesus actually used as an example. So with that in mind, I just throw that out there. Um, however you look at the book of Jonah, that's okay. You can do that. I'm this morning treating it as if it is history. And with that, no further ado, let's get to Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read all 17 verses, the word of the Lord, Jonah chapter 1. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed for Tarshish to flee the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come. Let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us 
who's responsible for all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land, the greatness of God. Verse 10. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Now they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the whale, belly of the fish, three days and three nights slipped there. Okay, what's happening here? What's happening here is simply this. The Lord has called the preacher. The Lord has called the prophet. And the assignment really is daunting. It's really overwhelming. Go to the most barbaric people the world has ever known and preach against their wickedness. This would be like if I received a call from the Lord today to go to North Korea and to go to the capital city of Pyongyang or however you pronounce it and to preach against the evil of that regime, to preach against the evil of Kim Jong-un or whatever his name is. Suicide mission, right? You're not coming back from that. So that's the assignment. Jonah's response is probably what your response might be or my response would be, thanks, but no thanks. Thank you for that assignment, God, but I'm not going to go down that road. And so we have to start this morning before we can actually look at what's it look like when someone's running away from God, what's rebellion really look like to try to figure out why did Jonah run? Why did the prophet say thanks but no thanks? I mean, he was a prophet. He followed after God maybe all the days of his life, certainly most of the days of his life. He'd received assignments before. We're not sure exactly what those assignments were, but this wasn't a new thing for him to go and preach, to go and proclaim. So why would he say no? Maybe Jonah said no because of an incredible hatred toward the people of Assyria. Maybe he knew people, probably he knew people that were God-fearers that had been persecuted or even lost their lives at the hands of this evil country. And so I think it's fair to say he probably had a lot of hate for the people of Assyria. Can I ask you this morning, do you find yourself in church this morning with a deep-rooted hate toward a race, toward a group of people, 
Are there people that you hate? Are there individuals that you, you just hate them? You can't stand them. You despise them. You know, racism's kind of a big thing right now in our country, and there's a discussion that's going on, and I think it's healthy to have that discussion, and I want to be crystal clear for the second Sunday in a row. I don't want anyone to ever mistake what I believe is the truth, and that is this. You cannot be a racist and be good with God the Father. Can't do it. It's not possible. There's no such thing as a Christian racist. It's an oxymoron with emphasis on the word moron. It really is. I mean, it just is. And that's not mine. I stole that from another preacher. So, Why would the preacher prophet run? Maybe it was fear of the actual assignment. Maybe it was that he knew, man, this is a suicide mission. And that's all she wrote, and I'm out if this happens. Or maybe, just maybe, it was fear of the character of God. Chapter 1 shows us the greatness of God. Uh, spoiler alert, if you come back next week and the week after, you're going to see the goodness of God play out. How God is compassionate and full of love and forgiving and grace-filled. And maybe, just maybe, Jonah knew how the story was going to end. And he didn't want to see those evil people. He didn't want to see those barbaric people embrace and be blessed by the grace of God. Well, I think Jonah chapter 1 is really helpful for anyone that is running away from God. And let's be honest, we've probably all been there at a time in our life where we're, we're kind of in rebellion with God. We find ourselves on the run. You may be here today and you have someone that you love dearly, someone that you have a relationship with, someone that you work with, someone that you go to school with. And if you were to try to define them, a fair definition would be they're running from God. They're running away from God. They're in rebellion against God. And so as we go through these, um, the, these different attributes of what's it look like when someone is running away from God, if there's someone in your world, if there's someone in life, if you're that person, will you just pray, God, speak to me. God, use me. God, help me. It could be that you're here not by accident, but on purpose for this message. Not because it's a great sermon, but because it's a great passage of Scripture. Because there's much truth that we can grab a hold of from this ancient prophet, the story of this ancient prophet. So, running from God, insight from the book of Jonah. Number one is this. See that, simply put, running away from God, it's disobedience. Rebellion against God, it's disobedience. Bottom line. That, that's the summary uh, of the entire first chapter. Jonah is on the run. He's running away from God. It is impossible to obey God, to be good with God, and be running away from God. It's impossible. Bottom line, running from God is disobedience. Number two, when you are running from God, it's uncomfortable to actually be in God's presence. It's not a lot of fun. Um, I love Sundays. I get up earlier on Sundays than any day of the week except for reload days. Reload days are, are just a little bit early. But I love to come together. I love to hear the hymns first service. I love to hear contemporary worship second service. I love communion. I love Bible study. I love to connect with all of you. It's a blessing. I love to be in the presence of Christ followers. 
I love to gather in our beautiful sanctuary. But when you're running from God, it'd probably be pretty uncomfortable to be around a bunch of people that are lifting their hands in praise to the Lord. It'd be pretty uncomfortable to be in a community, a Bible study. And so what's Jonah do here? Jonah says, God, you want me to go east to Nineveh? I'm out of here. I'm going as far west as I can go. Tarshish was about as far as the known world was in mid-8th century B.C., and it's not an accident that Jonah said, if I'm supposed to go east, I'm going west. Number three, when you are running from God, you lose proper perspective. You lose proper perspective. I I have a wonderful ministry friend who, for about a six-month season of time, was running away from God. Did some really stupid things in those six months. Made some really big mistakes in those six months. Has paid an incredible price for the choices that he made in those six months. And he says, I look back on that season in life, I'm like, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Why was I choosing the things I was choosing and rejecting the things I was rejecting? And the answer is lost proper perspective. Jonah has lost proper perspective. He's a preacher. He's a prophet. It's what he was called to do. And he's lost proper perspective. And it may be because of hatred. It may be because of fear. It may be that he doesn't want to see those stinking Assyrians be good with God. We don't know for sure why, but he's lost proper perspective. Number four, when you are running from God, you'll use any resource possible to keep on running. Jonah, it says, boarded a ship, and it says that he paid the fare, which is awesome, right? That's how we do it today in 2017, but it's not how they did things in mid-8th century B.C. See, back in those days, you got on the ship, and you went on the journey, and if you arrived safely, then you paid the fare. How cool would that be today if you got on an airplane, and you didn't have to pay them unless you got to the airport you're supposed to fly to on time safely? We'd love that, right? There'd be no more flight delays. In fact, someone found an airline and make that kind of the policy of the airline. You only pay when you arrive on time safely. Everyone would fly that airline. Mid-8th century B.C., not the case at all. Jonah is doing whatever he can just to get out of where he's at, just to get to Joppa and be on your way to Tarshish, that he's going to pay the fare ahead of time. And when you're running from God, when you're in rebellion against the Lord, you'll use any resource possible. You'll use any person possible. You'll use any supposed logic possible to keep on running. Number five, when you are running from God, this is huge, you can have peace even when the storm is raging. I mean, these, uh, the crew members of the ship, they're throwing the cargo overboard. They're each crying out to their own different gods. They're polytheists. They're worshiping all kinds of different gods. They're trying to cover the whole basis. They're doing all kinds of things to try to get this storm to stop and for their lives to be saved. And what's Jonah doing? He's sleeping. It's nap time. I'm going to go crash downstairs. He is at total peace in the midst of the storm. And sadly, that's a characteristic 
for people that are, that are running from the Lord, they can have peace in the midst of the storm. One of my coworkers at Lincoln years ago, just awful decisions, just decided he didn't want to be married anymore, went and hooked up with a high school sweetheart, just undid like a decade of incredible ministry. And just was at total peace. God wants me to be happy. Probably one of the smartest people I know biblically was about as stupid as you can be logically. But he was at peace in the midst of the storm. Number six, when you are running from God, those living outside the grace of God can and sometimes are more spiritual than you. How did the pagan crew members react to the crisis? They're praying to God. Um, Jonah says, finally, hey, it's my deal. I'm on the run. It's my fault. Just throw me overboard. What did they say? We can't do that. I mean, if it was me and I knew it was his fault, I'm picking him up and I'm launching him overboard. The pagans aren't doing that. Pagans are saying, we can't go down that road. And even after they do it, they're praying prayers, asking God for forgiveness. They're making vows of sacrifice, which again is not a big thing in 2017. That's a huge thing in 8th century BC. They're more spiritual than the preacher himself. They're more spiritual than the prophet himself. So, kind of depressing this morning, I know. It's not one of those love, joy, peace, patience kind of sermons. Is there any good news at all? I mean, maybe you hear this and you're a little, like, a little bit like someone that tried to turn on the news this week, whether it was CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever it is, and it's just like bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, and you're saying, is there any good news? There is good news in Jonah chapter 1. And here's the good news. First and foremost, God can and will still use the runner to make an impact. God's going to use Jonah. Jonah's going to be a part of, spoiler alert for next week, he's going to be a part of the greatest revival recorded in the Bible. Number one, bigger and better than the day of Pentecost, bigger than better than any of Paul's sermons where people, hundreds of people are coming, next week's going to trump it all. God is still using the runner to make an impact. And that should give you hope. And that should give me hope. That person I asked you to think about earlier, um, God can still use them. God will, in many ways, still use them. Number two, I love this, God can and will still care and provide for the runner. Jonah really deserved to die. He deserved to drown in that sea. And I can't break down the you know, the logistics of how it all played out. I don't know if it was a whale, big fish. I, I don't know any of that. I can't tell you. But I know this. In the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of running away from God, God still loved him. God still cared for him. And God absolutely still provided for him. And that should give us all hope. That should give you hope if you're running from God. That should give you hope if someone you love is on the road for God. God has an incredible, incredible passion that all people be saved. Paul gives us that in the book of 1 Timothy. He wants all people to be saved. That doesn't mean all people will be saved. 
In fact, I think it's probably fair to say most will not. But his heart is that even someone running away, even someone on the run would come home. So here's the bottom line. Here's the point of today's message. It's really the point of the entire book of Jonah. If you don't get anything else, if you're caught up on, is it history or parable? and what's, Get this more than anything else. People living outside the grace of God absolutely matter to God. That person I asked you to think about earlier absolutely matters to God. God has an absolute heart. His heart breaks for people who are living outside his grace. And let's be honest. We all know people. We're all in relationship with people that it would be fair to define the current state of where they're at now as living outside the grace of God. God loves them. God cares for them. God wants them to come home. Bottom line. So I'm going to leave you with a question this morning. And here's the question. Because we know that people living outside the grace of God matter to God, the the obvious question is, do people living outside the grace of God matter to you? Do they matter to you? Now, I know the textbook answer is, well, uh, of course they matter to me. I'm a Christian. Of course they matter to me. But do they really? Are you willing to pay a price? Are you willing to risk? Are you willing to threaten things as they are? To have a tough conversation with someone who's on the run? We preached through our core values back in the spring, winter and spring. And one of the core values was that lost people matter to God. People living outside the grace of God absolutely matter to God. If that looked familiar, it should. It's a core value of this church. And I challenged our church this morning, like I do pretty much every time we preach on evangelism. We do that a lot around here. Pretty much every time we talk about lost people mattering to God. I said, what will you do about it? Will you risk? Will you stretch yourself? And I prayed the prayer, and Samuel and the band played some songs, and we went on our way. And I'm at home, and I'm in my recliner, and I'm eating my ham cheese and English muffin sandwich and getting ready to watch some sporting event probably, and my phone beeps. And it's a member of our church. And she said, um, I'm getting ready to risk. I want you to pray for me. I'm getting ready to go to talk to someone that I love dearly, who's living outside the grace of God, and I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to say. I'm not 100% sure how it's going to unfold, but I want you to pray for me because I'm going to risk today. And she did just that. And I wish I could say that we had like a baptism at 5 o'clock that night and This person that she has a heart for became an integral member of this congregation. That hasn't happened yet. But she communicated people living outside the grace of God who I know and who I'm in relationship with matter to me. And so how cool would it be today if when I sit down at 1235 and I'm eating my ham, cheese, and English muffin sandwich... If I heard from some of you, 
and said, hey, I'm getting ready to risk. I'm getting ready to stretch myself. I'm getting ready to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and the ambassador that God wants me to be. Lost people matter to God. Do lost people matter to you? And that's sermon number two in our Jonah series. Next week, I'm so excited. Um, If I wasn't hungry, I might just keep on going into the next sermon because next week, I love this so much, we're going to get an inside look at the God of second chances. And I don't know about you, that's one of my favorite parts of the character of God, that God is a God of second chances. I've needed a lot of second chances. If you're being honest, you've probably needed second chances. And we're going to see up close and personal next week why our God is a God of second chances. Let's pray. God, thanks for today, for loving us, for caring for us. Thank you for using us. And God, I want you to use me and I want you to use us to be your ambassadors, to continue to drive home this truth that people living outside your grace matter to you and that they should matter to us. Not for statistics sake, not so we can break our arms patting ourselves on the back, but so that more and more people will know what it means to live inside your grace, to live a life following your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. It is commitment time. We do this every Sunday here at FCC. We're going to sing two songs. It's going to lead us into our time of communion. And if you'd like someone to pray with you, I'm up front. I'd love to do it. If you are in a situation where there's someone in your life and and you want to be that person that can go and and be that ambassador, and you just want me to pray that you'll have courage, I'm up front, I'd love to do it. At 11.30 this morning, our fireside room is going to be open. We'll have an elder in there that can pray for you and shepherd you in maybe more of a quiet, intimate setting. The most important invitation that we offer every Sunday is the invitation to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be a Christ follower. And if that's not where you're at, I'm up front, and I invite you to come today as Samuel and the team leads us. I'm going to read a scripture from Psalm. Psalm 139. And as we've been learning about Jonah, we've been seeing how he ran from God for fear of of different things and this psalm speaks to that where can I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your presence if I go up to the heavens you are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there if I rise on the wings of the dawn if I settle on the far side of the sea even there your hand will guide me your right hand will hold me fast If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing this next song together. I don't know which one you are, 
what areas of your life that you're running from God, whether you're running from God because you know what's right, but you don't want to do it. Maybe you're running from God because you're afraid of his anger, 